Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, your busy business boss, executive, strategist, and transformational leader, whose mission on this show is to educate, engage, and energize the global community on topics of sustainability and ESG. Now joining us at the microphone here at the Operational Excellence Conference is Gavin Keeler. Gavin is the Strategic Engagement Executive for Oil and Gas for UiPath. Gavin, welcome to the show and tell us about UiPath. Well, thank you very much. Um, UiPath, uh, we're an automation platform. Okay. So what does that actually mean? Yes. So what it means is that we sit up across everything on your IT and OT landscape and allows us to effectively um, look at every process, every task, every communication, and then find opportunities to automate that uh, for the company. Okay, so, so what I would love for you to do. Yes. Give my listeners a, a, a quick case study, use case scenario. Fantastic. Okay, so a very large oil and gas customer of ours. <laughs> okay. That you, shall remain nameless. <laughs> shall remain nameless. Okay. Has 81 automations just in drilling and completions. Okay. And what are they doing with it? Well, effectively, when I spoke to the director of drilling, I said, why are you using automation? He says, well, it's, very, it's two very simple reasons. I want eyes on drilling. So I want my drilling site manager get out from behind his damn computer, okay, and actually on the site and looking at the drilling operations. Okay. And I want my engineers to be from, get out from uh, behind their computers and actually on site with hands on in, uh, uh, drilling. Okay. And so what do we do in that thing? We take tedious tasks that they do, cutting and pasting, filling in this form, compliance uh, uh, forms, et cetera. Tedious, we, mundane, I don't want to have to do this tasks. I Exactly. And effectively give that to a robot who, by the way, doesn't take PTO, <laughs> works 24-7, 365 days a year. That's right. Never calls in sick. That's right. Okay. And, loves, and doesn't care that it's tedious. Yeah, actually loves the tedious tasks. <laughs> and so it's a, it's a happy robot. It's a happy robot, but more importantly, now I have a happy engineer. Because right. guess what he's doing? He's doing what he was hired to, to do, do at that company. And that he loves to do. Oh, or yes. she or loves she to loves do. To yes, do. I'm the mother of a soon-to-graduate petroleum engineer, so the she has to be in there. Oh, absolutely. In actual <laughs> fact, the, the person that actually does all the automations over there is uh, a lady. Okay. Um, and she is amazing because she actually comes from being an actual operator herself and now she runs their automation program for drilling and completions. Um, and it's absolutely amazing stories that you hear when, you, when she talks about a geologist that actually can act, focus on his job instead of having to go between multiple applications and moving data and cutting and pasting data. Now he can actually look at 
drove you and actually make strategic decisions instead of wasting half of his day trying to get the information into Drillview <laughs> yep. to be able to make that strategic decision. So it is absolutely clear to me why UiPath is here at Operational Excellence. I mean, what you're describing is excellence in operations. Yes, absolutely. What have you thought of the show so far? It's fantastic. I think it's um, the world of operations dealing with three major issues today. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, the introduction of AI. Okay, it's been around in operations for seven, eight years. Yep. Okay, it's discrete, very specific, specialized AI on condition monitoring, etc. The world of Gen AI, generative AI, is completely going to change the way that we operate our assets. Think of this. I'm only really going to need one mechanic and one electrical person for any site going for, uh, uh, forward. Because I literally, with Gen AI, can deliver the right information to that individual while he's on site to fix anything in front of him. So as long as he's mechanical, he can fix anything mechanical. As long as he's an electrician, he can fix anything electrician. He doesn't need to understand that this is a Siemens box or this is a uh, 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 flow serve pump, okay? We will, once he gets to the asset, we will give him all the information at that point in time, the instructions, and maybe even in virtual reality, show him how to actually go about his job, how to work with this Siemens-specific electrical uh, 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 box, or uh, specifically work with this flow serve pump. And we can do that with a robot that understands where he is, what he's going to do, okay, and effectively, and it's a software robot, what he's going to do, why he's out there, okay, and then have the robot give him access to a question-based machine that now he can ask questions to. I'm at this flow serve pump and it's not doing this. It gives a response. That's, That's right. what generative AI is. But it's still doing this. Well, now look at this it literally can talk him through the steps that he needs to go through in fixing that pump. And in, it may be the first time in his life that he ever sees that pump, but he'll be able to fix it with the help of AI. Fantastic, fantastic. We sure have come a long way, haven't we? We have. And so AI is the one challenge. The other yeah. challenge is that we have all of these legacy systems around. Um, yeah. You're gonna laugh. Because I, I know that you were around when OS2 was around. Uh-huh. Okay. There's a specific application that we're helping a customer with right now that runs in OS2 in a Citrix environment that looks at specific valve readings. Okay. There's no way to get the data. The person that wrote that application <laughs> has retired <laughs> a long time ago. Okay. <laughs> My okay. audience is la like the vast majority of my laugh of my audience is chuckling right now. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and but all so the only way to actually monitor that is actually have an eye, actual humans' eyes on a screen looking at that thing for that particular valve uh, uh, reading, which makes no sense. So what we can do with our technology is actually have a robot read that. So we can actually read the data off the screen. So we can take the data off the screen 
and we actually insert it into a time series data, uh, uh, database for the customer. No human involved in the process now. They still run in that OS2 application. That OS2 application is still the way the data is getting fed from the valve, okay? But now it's a software robot that actually reads the data off the screen and is inserting it because it knows, it looks at it and sees there's a change, immediately notifies the time, and then puts it into a time series database. At this time, this valve reading changed to this thing. Love it. So you're basically allowing legacy systems to live on. To live on. Okay, third challenge. You said there were three. So the third challenge today is that we have so many silos. Huh. I mean, just look at what we have here. How many yes. different companies are here? And a lot of them overlap, okay? And by the way, if I'm a very big organization like most of the customers that we have here today, okay, they're gonna have multiple of these applications running. And effectively, they silos. Effectively, the data's in them. And, I might, um, and where we come in is we have the ability now to sit on top of all of that and literally really quickly take a look at what data does this particular user need from this system and what data does it need from that system and what do those, does that user then do with that data? Okay. Typically, guess what? Into Excel, <laughs> format it. <laughs> you you put lie, it in, not put true. It in, put it into a PowerPoint presentation and take it to somebody and present it. Okay, as a simple outcome, right? But guess what we do? Okay. We Help automate that whole process. We, we look at, we can, uh, our discovery suite allows us to look at all of the processes underlying each one of these applications. Our task suite looks at what the human's doing in the process. Our communication mind is looking at what communications are happening on email, on Teams, and whatever the case may be. We're combining all of that, and then we are giving the uh, 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 users the actual automations. We're saying, this is the opportunity, this is how you automate it, and this is how you go about it. So, and guess what we're doing? We're taking the tedious stuff. There you go. Away from people who we actually pay a lot of money in operations for, okay, to go focus on what they, they should They love doing. to do. They love to do. Well, nobody loves filling out a spreadsheet. No, 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 no. So. Well, Gavin, thank you so much. What we're going to do is I'm going to put in the show notes a link to uipath.com because people are going to want to get a hold of you. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate this. Thanks for joining us. Okay, thank you. Carlos Gomez, the VP of Strategic Alliances at Baker Hughes, is now a victim uh, at my microphone. Please, Carlos, tell us what you're doing here at Operational Excellence. What are you showcasing at this event? And, and thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for the invitation. So uh, we're here at Operational Excellence. This is our second or third year in a row. And, um, and as part of our strategic alliances, we've got one particular one where we have a division within Baker Hughes called Bentley Nevada. Bentley That's Nevada. Bentley Nevada, correct. Okay. Really the, let's call it the experts in protection equipment and vibration diagnostic systems for asset health management. And we've allied For our what management? Asset health management. Asset health yeah. management. Okay. Kind of in the broader asset performance management space. So Got if it. you think about reducing downtime, increasing yep. operational efficiency, right? Improving yep. cost of care for maintenance practices, yep. all of these different buckets kind of tied together. So Bentley Nevada 
one of their approaches is we were doing an analysis over the last call it 24 eight, you know 18 months and we really wanted to make sure that we were approaching a bucket of technology that let's call that general purpose equipment that balance plant sometimes at refineries at specialty chemical facilities etc to really be able to deliver an ai an artificial intelligence and machine learning based predictive analytic solution that could work both at a software as a service scale, okay. as well as for deriving incredible time to value, time to insights and ROI. So we partnered with a company called Augury, and that's been in motion for the last two years. And we've been basically taking ourselves together between Bentley, bringing their you know capabilities to the table as well as Augury, and taking that to our top customers, call it the P66s of the world, the Exxons, et cetera. Spell Augury for me. A-U-G-U-R-Y. Okay. All right, we got to put this stuff in the show notes. So, are you giving a presentation here at the conference? Yeah, we actually are. So, you are. Okay, I am cool. moderating. So, I'm moderating a panel uh, that's called "Unlocking Asset Health Management Capabilities Through Predictive Analytics." Uh-huh. So, it's going to be a little bit broader, right? But it's really the ability to showcase how, when you think about the investment criteria of companies now with digital transformation, uh-huh. especially in linkage with ESG, actually. 20% of the funds being spent are actually in the direction of these predictive analytics. And that can be on machinery, that could be for emissions management, that could be for energy optimization, that could be for process, right? And the way that this conversation will go with three different panelists, one from the industry, a uh, couple that are users as well, to basically say, how do we actually deploy and how lifelike, how real have these capabilities been to deliver time to value and ROI? And are you guys gonna be covering some case studies? Absolutely. Fantastic. And those case studies will range anywhere from how we've optimized, call it your general balance of plant equipment, such as call it feeder pumps, chillers, uh, blowers, fans, and mechanisms, all the way to how you optimize for turbo machinery, be that for mechanical drive compression, be that for power gen. So I think that w- one of the important uh, topics that are, or, or points of discussion that we've been having uh, these last two days at this conference is that we're we're now in this world of the energy transition. We're Absolutely. now in this age of sustainability and paying attention to how we are proper stewards of the environment. And we talk about all this innovation that is occurring out there. And still at the very heart of mm. all of this is focusing on operational excellence. That's right. And a forget about all the crazy, you know, carbon capture and really cool stuff that we're hearing about. Forget about that for just a minute. And if we just are more efficient and effective with the way we run our businesses, we're going to have a more positive impact on our environment. That's 100% true. So, and I know that Baker Hughes is doing some, some tremendous work in the area of sustainability. We are. And, you know, that that's a beautiful comment because if you think about the four pillars of where we want to, let's say, go to market with these digital capabilities, one of them is absolutely energy efficiency and optimization. And the way that we approach that is really twofold. One would be a simple way of saying it's kind of like your car. If you run it at a certain miles an hour, you're going to get the optimized energy efficiency of getting the most miles out of it. The same thing goes for your pump. If you're operating it at perfect capability setting, you're going to enhance the life of that asset, make sure the maintenance spend is lowered, et cetera. Not to mention it's running more efficiently and burning less emissions. There you go. There you go. Carlos, thanks for joining us on ESG Energize and giving us a quick view into what we have ahead of us later on in the conference. My pleasure. Thank you. Martin Willems from IPCOS has joined us here 
at the OGGN ESG Energize podcast, and he is the strategic account manager at IPCOS. Welcome to the show, and please start off by telling us about your company. Okay, hi. Um, so yeah, I work for IPCOS. We're a technology independent service provider. Uh, we're mainly helping companies in oil and gas and in chemical, specialty chemical industries. Okay, do what? So we help them in yeah their digital journey. So, um, well, maybe two important things there are, one, we're, we're an engineering company. So we really start from problem statements. We really focus on um, adding value. So we, we approach the digital um, journey from an engineering point of view, that, which means, we, we try to solve issues using technology. We don't implement technology for the sake of technology, let's say. You see, we come from that engineering point of view of trying to solve a problem or trying to add value with um, use cases, with our expertise or the main knowledge. Okay. That's, for example, why we um, focus on oil and gas and chemicals, because the process is complex enough that engineering knowledge is required. Like, we're not going to... Uh, write software for refrigerators because, well, a refrigerator is, is not complex enough. It doesn't need a deep domain knowledge for us to understand and to act upon, basically. Okay, so do you have deep do industry domain experts as part of your That's correct. So our entire organization, we're all engineers. So from, from top to bottom, we're all engineers. So uh, I would say, or all of them are domain knowledge in their own. So we see the digital landscape, of course, as a very wide landscape. Um, we have different um, business units trying to tailor to different needs. So um, it means that one day we're helping uh, operators in a control room. The other day we're making reports and visualization and KPIs for managers and everything in, in between, basically. So it, it's quite process um, focused, I would say. So we really try to automate processes and with processes, because we hear a lot of different definitions here of processes yes. on the conference. <laughs> for us, processes are yeah the, the, the physical processes, so really yeah, moving the molecules in the chemical industry. Um, so it, it's focused on yeah on that equipment processes, trying to make them more optimized. Um, so you're so you're marrying that um, engineering domain expertise with the information technology uh, exactly. capability. Yeah, we okay. we like to call ourselves digital engineers to show that. Um, for example, in the oil and gas, um, if if we work on an automated workflow for reservoir surveillance, we, we speak the same language, we're a petroleum engineer, so we speak the same language as the reservoir engineer. We can also talk to the IT department because we all have an affinity for, for IT. Um, but I would say different with other companies is that it often comes um, like if you ask um, a service provider with their own tools, a question, the answer will always be one of their tools because in the end, that's what they want to sell. For us, we don't have our own tools. We have partnerships with all the big players in the market and so we spend um, energy knowing what goes around in the market. So combining that domain knowledge we have of knowing what's happening in those control rooms, in those processes uh, and trying to... Um, yeah, merge that up with what we know from our partners. Um, so we we can fully um, independently advise them on, for example, yeah, 
why would they go for a Power BI or for a Spotify? Or why would they go for um, a real-time historian from, from Pi or from Aspen Tech? Um, there's very few players in the market that can, yeah, advise on that. So that's a bit of our consultancy piece, I would call it. And afterwards, we're going to translate that consultancy piece also into, um, yeah, into actual implementation. So we also help the customer there and, um, yeah, try to create value out of that project, basically. So you're the guys to call when you need this type of a complex problem to be solved that can sit down and work it together with them and bring a different perspective yeah uh, i would i would say so indeed um Wonderful. so to give an example now we have we have some um, well we have some questions now of we have all these local real-time historians um what would be required to replicate these into the cloud because all our ai and machine learnings are running in the cloud all our local data is yeah in local servers so how how do we bring that one world to the cloud what is required for that which open source tools are there uh etc so that that's like a more um yeah that's advisory. a pervasive problem yeah, and, and it's quite actual, so yeah. uh, it's it's been lingering around, and I don't think there's like, a, um, in these things, there's not a one-stop solution yet no. for it, so there's not one vendor that offers everything, um, so it, it's a bit of a mix and a match of different functionalities, and that's also how we look at, I would say, at the digital landscape, so... Uh, we look at it from a functionality point of view. So we say, okay, in your digital landscape, you need a real-time historian. Uh, no matter what it is, you need to contextualize your data afterwards to, to enrich it, to get more insights, which is then an input to your uh, analytics, uh, etc. So we, we, we map all these components in, I would say, a digital landscape without putting tools on it because the tools will change. You, nobody knows what in 10 years will be yeah. the tool for one or the other. So we do it uh, tool independently uh, and we, yeah, we see if everything is there and then we help the companies as well to, yeah, okay, how do you then decide which tools to go there so then we can say, okay, we need a proof of concept, it's best to choose these assets. So we help them in the process and the implementation as well. So people are going to want to have a follow-up conversation with you. They're going to want to talk more about this. How can I have my listeners get in touch with you? Is there a website we can direct them to? Exactly. So uh, www.ipcos.com. It's that simple. It's that simple. IPCOS.com. We're going to put that in the show notes. Martin, thank you so much for joining us on the show. All right. Thanks for having us. Okay. Now my next victim at the microphone is Jason Noller, Manager for Value Engineering at Salonis. Okay. I got a couple of questions. First of all, what is value engineering and who is Salonis? Tell us about Salonis. Awesome. Yeah. I will take those in the reverse direction. Go and for say it. That Salonis was the original company to bring process mining out of the academic space into enterprise software. So really a method to rip into your IT systems and understand how your processes are being executed across IT systems. So think about our procure-to-pay process where we're looking at purchase requisitions, purchase orders, goods receipts, and invoices, and how exactly we're executing each of those different objects across our different IT systems to optimize for business outcomes and have really evolved into a leader in the process intelligence space, trying to identify value opportunities within those processes and related processes to let these companies operate more effectively. And in the value engineering team, 
our role is really to exist as a kind of business technical role. We know the ins and outs of slowness. We also know the ins and outs of the challenges that our customers address with it. That our entire goal is to work with customers and help them to achieve value as quickly as possible by bringing best practices from other customers in the space. Okay, so I've got a million questions now, Jason. Of course I do, right? Um, there's a lot to unpack there, and we don't have a lot of time to do it. So let me see how let me see how quickly I can get this done. First of all, um, how long has Salona been around? We've been around just over 10 years. Just over 10 years, and you said that you were the first ones to do process mining. Did I hit that correctly? Yes, you did. It was three students out of the Technical University of Munich who started as a college project for process mining at that time, really just an academic concept from Will van der Alst. Um, and what it turned into was an enterprise software that, that that college project very quickly turned into a very successful project with a partner customer that then evolved into the enterprise product that uh, has obviously grown since then, but that we still work with today. Okay, talk to me about your, your, so it started off in Germany. Talk about your footprint today, your geographical footprint today. Yep, so today we are a global company, have a dual headquarters in Munich as well as New York City. Um, very large presence across the EMEA region still, but also a very large presence in the US and a growing office out in Japan as well as um, a few others, including a center out in India, a group that's growing out in the Australia region um, that have really grown in that past 10 years to a very global company. So did you come to Houston from New York? Uh, I spent some time in New York in the original U.S. headquarters, spent a little bit of time in North Carolina, where we grow a large kind of hub out of the Raleigh area, and I'm now in Texas really focused on our oil and gas customers specifically. Ah. Uh, yes, kind of brought me back to Texas as the natural hub of oil and gas. Where in Texas? I am in Austin right now. Okay, that's not the hub. That's not an oil and gas hub, Jason. I'm sorry to tell you, dude. It's it's a short bus ride away. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, so So why did we move to Austin? Um, moved back to Austin. I'm from, from here originally, but I was also living in North Carolina, working with oil and gas customers. I was flying back to Texas every single week anyway, um, so somewhat convinced the team in the company to let me come out to Texas to help build a team here. But you still chose Austin. I did choose Austin. I was uh, born and raised in Austin, so it has a special place. All right. My, my kid is at UT. That's, so. I also went to UT. <laughs> All right. What school in UT? What did you major in? I was in the Cockrell School of Engineering, majoring in uh, aerospace engineering. Oh, so my child is at the Cockrell School of Engineering, majoring in petroleum engineering. Awesome. So they chose well. That, that, yes, she did. She chose very well. <laughs> she chose very well. So almost, almost well enough to take care of mom when she graduates. Because <laughs> she's getting kicked off the payroll on May 12th. So just... She doesn't like that, but she's getting kicked <laughs> off the payroll May 12th. I hope, I hope she's a listener as well to understand. Oh, she is. <laughs> she is. I mean, that's why I'm saying it. You're getting kicked off the payroll, <laughs> Gina Marie. So anyway, I, um, let's get back to value engineering. So now, that was actually another question that I had for you, is what does a value engineer uh, bring to the table? Like what academic background, which you've already answered for me, which is aerospace engineering. So that must have been an interesting journey. But in general, um, what, do, what do you look for in value engineers? So we're really focused often on hiring either people from the consulting world. They're very used to kind of getting in with companies, digging deep into processes and diagnosing issues to solve with technology, but also have a very large footprint of value engineers that come out of the actual industry space. So everything from individuals that have been working on the floor at uh, chemical manufacturing facilities, in manufacturing, working in process improvement within other oil and gas companies, um, really across the board. 
it's not a consistent profile that we hire, but it's always consistently looking for people who have a strong knack for business process and for technology and really marrying the two to try to drive better outcomes for our customers. Did I see your name on the speaker agenda? Uh, yes, you did. Ah, what did we talk about, Jason? <laughs> we talked about kind of the next evolution of process mining and where slowness is going, which is starting to use this technology more holistically across an enterprise. So rather than looking at one individual process in a silo, like looking to optimize my days payable outstanding and accounts payable, I'm now starting to look at processes and how they interact and transact and connect with one another, such as across the MRO space, looking at how plant maintenance feeds into material requirements, feeds all the way out to procurement, so I can start to identify issues that exist between those processes. Ooh, very cool. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely something that a lot of our customers are starting to see some value in. I'm really driven by a pretty large technology change that we're, I guess, disrupting ourselves as a technology, going from an old kind of traditional version of process mining to something called object-centric process mining, which really allows those sort of interactions. Ah, okay. Can, can you explain that? to me as if I'm a third grader? Think, think of me as a third grader? <laughs> yeah, I think that the simplest way would be that the traditional way of process mining is basically picking what it is that you want to analyze. So you're kind of saying, I want to look at purchase orders and every single thing that you bring into the platform, you have to tie to those purchase orders. And it somewhat exists in this silo that's very purchase order oriented mm -hmm. versus in an object centric world, you're not really picking one individual item to analyze. You're bringing in data relating to purchase orders, you're bringing in data related to a goods receipts, to a purchase requisition, to a sales order. And then in the back end, all of these different objects are tied to one another based on the experience that we have in the process mining space. So as you bring them in either all at once or one at a time over many years, what you're getting to see is a growing and growing picture of that entire enterprise through one connected data model rather than through one data model for each individual process that you look at. Sounds like that Salonis is uh, a pretty innovative company at heart. Uh, yes, we have what we call Salonis Labs, kind of always their entire role being to look to the future and kind of what's coming next five, six years down the line. Um, and certainly our product and engineering team at the very forefront of existing process mining today. Okay, very cool. So Jason, um, you've piqued my interest and I'm sure you've piqued the interest of, of my listeners. How can I get people in touch with Salonis? Is there a website we can direct them to? Uh, yes. If you go out to salonis.com, we have live demos out on the platform to either play around in firsthand Ooh. or to view. Um, and certainly contact information to learn more if there are certain use cases that are piquing your interest. And we do also have a large conference coming up next week, but comes there every year called Cellosphere, um, that kind of shows all the latest and greatest as well as customer stories and how people are actually using Salonis. Oh my gosh. So we are going to put a link to that in the show notes so that people can find you. Thank you, Jason, for enlightening me and my audience. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.